Today on Not Sam Wrestling, we're talking about everything that went down at Survivor Series. We're analyzing the bloodline story and where it's going, what to do with Sami Zayn, and my pal Sorette is coming in here to explain life as a WWE gear maker. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Oh boy. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling, post-Thanksgiving, post-Survivor Series, post-Bloodline, post the second and the best of seven series of the Death Triangle and the Elite, post- Austin Theory is champion, United States champion. Post, well, post a lot. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. You'll have to forgive me, but my voice is just starting to come back. There was so much excitement over the weekend, over the holidays. I hope everybody listening in the States had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I personally loved, I personally loved that Survivor Series was back for the Thanksgiving tradition that it always was. I loved Survivor Series going down on uh, Thanksgiving Eve. It's one of those like Thanksgiving Eve and maybe it just doesn't translate globally as well as it did here in the States. But Thanksgiving historically was always such a big time for wrestling shows. You know, back in the day in a lot of territories, some of the hottest nights of the year were the holiday shows, the Thanksgiving night show, the Christmas night show, those shows because everybody would have off. Everybody would be with their families, but ultimately, most of us, after spending the day with the family, runs out of stuff to do by like seven o'clock at night. Even on Thanksgiving, especially back then, a lot of people would have Thanksgiving dinner early. So by seven, eight o'clock at night, you're done with the festivities of the day and you're just sitting there staring at the rest of your family in your room going, what am I supposed to do to entertain these people? Well, let's go to the matches. And so they'd become big family gathering spots. Pro wrestling shows would. Uh, When I was growing up, though, it was uh, a bunch of Survivor Series. I I believe in the beginning it was Thanksgiving night, but then they moved it to the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Eve tradition is what they did. And eventually they moved it to Sunday where all their other pay-per-views were and then over to... Saturday. It was really interesting. I had forgotten, and I guess I forget every year, but this year was the 25th anniversary of the Montreal Screwjob, and I had forgotten that that year Survivor Series was on like November 9th or something like that, way before Thanksgiving. It had nothing to do with Thanksgiving. So the fact that only a couple of days removed from Thanksgiving, we got a Survivor Series pay-per-view. It was an exciting thing, and what a Survivor Series pay-per-view, okay? The Return of the War Games. And for the first time on the main roster, uh, last time we saw War Games, I believe it was October of last year. And we saw it in NXT. That was the final NXT War Games, the NXT 2.0 War Games, black and gold versus 2.0. War Games is, as I talked about last week in the history of War Games, rumored to be something that Triple H has wanted for the last 20 years to be on the main roster. And I would say there's credence to that rumor based on the fact that number one, as soon as he got control of NXT and he got the roster for it, 
He brought war games to NXT. And number two, the minute he got control over the main roster, we've got war games on the main roster. Uh, do we think this is going to be an annual tradition at Survivor Series? I think so. Uh, I, I, I think that this is what it's going to look like. Uh, I know that some people were saying that they, they wish there was an elimination tag in there. Um, I almost feel like, I don't think, if you're going to do two War Games matches, I don't think you also need to do an elimination eight-person tag. Now you're dealing with, or or 10-person tag in some cases. Now you're dealing with three different multi-person matches. You're dealing with three different matches that take forever if they're done in a realistic way. So, you know, I, I don't, I feel like if you're going to do war games, then you've given up traditional Survivor Series elimination matches, which I think is okay because it's not like Survivor Series invented the elimination tag. I think that it's worth it because you've got a theme and because this means that we're not doing uh, brand supremacy anymore. I think that everybody had soured on the idea of brand supremacy, especially when they started doing the draft a month before Survivor Series. So the people fighting for brand supremacy were brand new to the brand. I think brand supremacy was done well when it was Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT. Well, there's a couple of good brand supremacy Survivor Series. I think in the very beginning of the brand split, when the brands were actually designed to be competitive with one another, when Raw and SmackDown were actually designed to be two shows that felt different, that didn't necessarily share one brain uh, and one talent roster. And so that when they did battle, it actually was something special. I think that in there, there was some good stuff. Um, and I think that when NXT was thrown in the mix, really that one year that NXT was at its absolute hottest and it was Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT, and that's the year that, that Shayna Baszler came in and dominated that triple threat match. That's the year that Keith Lee showed up and and really, it was 2019, really like, like left with Roman Reigns kind of, you know, giving Keith Lee the old Hogan hand in the air. It was like when Hogan gave props to, well, it wasn't really when Hogan, maybe when Hogan gave props to Macho Man. It wasn't when Hogan gave props to Warrior because Hogan gave props to Warrior after Warrior beat him and Keith Lee didn't beat Roman. But Macho didn't beat Hogan. He just won the title. So it was kind of Macho Hogan, Roman, Keith Lee. It didn't work out obviously, but that was a brand supremacy show that was great. But they're few and far between. I think that it's much better this way. Um, and I think that at this point, the War Games is a bigger attraction than the five-on-five -five elimination tag matches. I would like to see that they bring back the elimination tags in order to keep the history of Survivor Series alive and maybe on the Raw and SmackDown go-home shows. They do, and I, maybe you don't want to have the entire teams competing each other the night before because it'll be, too similar, but if they did a Survivor Series style elimination tag with the winning team getting the advantage in the war games, I think that there's something there. And that's how you could do a tip of the hat to the Survivor Series rules that the 
shows before. You have a Survivor Series elimination tag to kind of whet the appetite because there's a lot of ways you could do that without having every confrontation that you're going to get in the war games. Now, I think the real question with the war games coming back every year is the psychology behind it. They did a press conference after Survivor Series, and I think the most interesting thing to come out of that press conference was Triple H being questioned and describing the way he sees these pay-per-views. There have been a lot of rumors going around that Triple H was looking at taking Hell in a Cell as a pay-per-view off the calendar. And he kind of confirmed that to an extent at the press conference. He kind of described the philosophy of matches. And I like that he brings his career in it. Here's what Triple H brings to the table that I think is really helpful to the product. Number one, he's a history buff. He loves wrestling. He loves wrestling history. He studies this stuff. He eats, sleeps, and breathes it. Number two, he's right out of the water of just being a top talent himself. So he knows what these men and women are going through. He understands storytelling, not only from the audience perspective, because he grew up a fan, but from their perspective, because he just was a top-level performer that had to raise up the ranks. So I think that that Triple H, I think one of the main reasons that he's taking Hell in a Cell off the calendar as a pay-per-view, at least that's what it sounds like, is probably because of what he brought up at the press conference, that he probably really holds that Mick Foley match uh, in his heart. And I think that he should. I think that the Triple H... Mick Foley rivalry is one of the great rivalries in either of their careers. And I think that the culmination of that rivalry came with the Cactus Jack matches, the Royal Rumble, no holes barred match, and the Cactus Jack versus Triple H Hell in a Cell retirement match. Um, and I think that he's right about Hell in a Cell being used as, as the sort of ultimate equalizer that there needs to be a reason for the match. I think the same about a TLC match. I don't think there's any reason for there to be a TLC pay-per-view. I think that that a, a TLC match should be used if the story dictates that a TLC match should be used. I think that Extreme Rules doesn't really need to be a pay-per-view anymore. That if you want to put an Extreme Rules match on a show, then there should be a reason for that to happen. I agree with what he said about Money in the Bank. I think Money in the Bank should be an annual tradition the same way the Royal Rumble is. The Royal Rumble is a match with a built-in consequence that leads to another pay-per-view, right? It's it's almost the saving grace that we go, okay, even if I'm not doing so hot as a competitor right now, I know that come January, I'll have a chance to elevate myself to the main event by winning the Royal Rumble match. And I think that's a story that you tell. But I think the Royal Rumble being a constant is a story mechanism. I think Money in the Bank being a constant is a story mechanism. There's no reason not to have Money in the Bank as an annual event at the same time every year. Now, is it enough to build a pay-per-view around or do you bring it back to WrestleMania? That's up to whoever. I think Money in the Bank can be its own pay-per-view when done right. Uh, I, 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 I think that that's fine. I also think Elimination Chamber can be and should be its own pay-per-view. I think that Elimination Chamber should be on the books with the Rumble 
every February we get an Elimination Chamber pay-per-view, and that is how we decide the second main event. We've got two titles. I don't know what they're going to do this year. I would have two Roman matches personally, or yeah, I would have I would have two title matches, regardless of whether they're with Roman or not. Um, but yeah, I I would still do an Elimination Chamber match. Um, and with the winner traditionally going to WrestleMania to get a shot at whatever title the Royal Rumble winner does not select. The War Games is an interesting thing, though, because while, yes, there are are rare instances that you would draw upon a War Games match, the War Games does not make sense to do annually unless you've got a story that you're building to the War Games. As I watched War Games this year, I thought that the women's War Games match was great. It was action-packed. It was it was brutal. I thought that the ending was fantastic, seeing uh, Becky and Bianca hand-in-hand. Hand. Like, this was one of these great moments where it's like, boom, solidified. Becky Lynch is back. She's a babyface, and let's go. I would not be surprised if Becky Lynch ends up going over to SmackDown. I think Bianca Belair is an established star on Raw and that SmackDown could probably use the boost. I also think that we're going to start going towards a Becky Lynch-Ronda Rousey match. I feel like that match will probably be saved for WrestleMania, but, I mean, I, I just feel like we're going to start planting the seeds, and in order to start planting those seeds, let's start now on SmackDown with Becky Lynch on SmackDown. I also, and this was happening in both matches, this happened in NXT too. I am not a fan of people getting weapons from under the ring and throwing them in the match. Number one, I don't think you need weapons in a war games match. It's already, the structure itself is the brutality of it. And number two, the whole point of the people coming in at certain times is to build an advantage or to settle an advantage, equalize the advantage. So to give up your advantage or to give up your power to equalize the numbers because you're taking a minute and a half to throw 16 garbage cans in or five tables in or three chairs in or whatever you're going to do doesn't make sense to me. And I, it almost takes away from how dangerous the structure itself is. When you go back to War Games 92, War Games 92 was one of the best War Games matches ever. Dangerous Alliance with Paul Heyman, ironically, versus the Stinger Squadron. And I talked about this last week. There's this spot in the match where uh, Medusa has to climb the cage and slide Paul Heyman's cell phone through the roof because she's so desperately trying to give her team the advantage with this weapon. When you've made it a regularity that in every match, multiple people are just gonna take time to throw weapons in the ring and there's no roof. So anybody on the outside can throw stuff in all they want. You've kind of stripped us of that storytelling beat that I think has been proven when it's utilized, it can be really, really effective. Um, all that said, I still thought they were great war games matches. Um, I, 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 I really, I just loved that the women showed up and and gave kind of a follow that performance, you know, where they just 
gave you everything they possibly could and showed you what level these women are performing on in this era. Really cool to see. I really want to talk about the men's war games match and not only that finish, but that buildup. The buildup to the bloodline versus the brawling brutes, Drew McIntyre and Kevin Owens. The specific in-match story really started on SmackDown. When you had Jay Uso catching Sami Zayn talking to Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens was sitting there saying, these guys don't have your back. I do, I'm your best friend, blah, blah, blah. Jay Uso saw this happening, main event Jay. And he said, hey, Sammy, have you been talking to anybody today? And Sammy said, no, not a soul, just you. He was lying. Jay Uso knew he was lying. He said, all right, dog, okay, we good. We weren't good though. We get to the main event. Because of Sammy's distraction, Jay gets distracted. He ends up eating the pin. He loses the bloodline's advantage. Is it Jay's fault? Is it Sammy's fault? Was it intentional? Does Roman know? We don't know. But when we get to Survivor Series, we see Jay talking to Roman and Roman says, I'm gonna talk to Sammy and I'm gonna know. And Roman talks to Sammy. And this is like, what's making the Bloodline story the best story in modern day professional wrestling is the little things. It's not just what Sammy's doing that is so outside of the box and good. It's not just what Paul Heyman is doing on these promos. It's what Jay is doing with his with his body language and the way he's objecting, the way he's living this character. The fact that Solo is, is stoic no matter what, that when you hear that he's an enforcer, it's not a foreign thing to you. You see it all over his face, all over his body. It's that Jimmy is aware of what's going on, but clearly in his face, in his body language, you can see that Jimmy supports his brother, but also sees that his brother is being unreasonable. And it's Roman. Roman has this ability with his face right now, the Facial expressions that Roman makes are just out of this world incredible right now. It started last night when Roman is talking to Sammy and Sammy is justifying himself and Sammy deserves an Emmy for the stuff that he's doing right now. But he's explaining that how much it means to him that this family, that the bloodline is a family and that that family has welcomed Sammy in and none of it's lost on him and he's pouring his heart out. And it feels like Roman believes him. And then Sammy gives him this hug and the camera's on Roman's face. And Roman has this subtlety where he shuts his eyes. But when Roman hugs, right, Roman asks for the hug. And when Roman asks for for hugs, or when Roman, when Roman offers affection, he's doing it in this, this mentally abusive way where it's like Roman uses his, his power that he's got over this group of people, 
and the fact that they all know that what he's saying is true, that he is the top guy in the entire industry. And he just treats them like garbage, makes them jump through hoops to prove their loyalty to him, makes them do exactly what he says, no matter what, and then gives them this hug and has this face like, see, I'm a good guy. And it's like this gaslighty, amazing thing that Roman is doing with his face and his body that just goes directly through the screen. And he gives Sammy this hug. And it's almost like in the hug, he has this realization. Like he feels the way Sammy is hugging him. And his eyes just go up. And he doesn't like make big cartoon eyes He doesn't like roll in the back of his head. He doesn't start scowling and show his teeth. He just has this very serious, emotionless impression on his face. Like everything drops out of his face. And all of a sudden, he's come to a realization and we go, oh no. And the match starts. We go to war games. And the match starts with with Jay and, and Butch in the ring. And the buzzer goes off and Jimmy gets ready to go out and Roman holds Jimmy back and he sends Sammy in because he wants to prove Sammy's loyalty. And if Sammy is going to screw them up, he would rather Sammy screw them up early than later in the match. Also, he's a, he's a puppeteer. He's a, he's a mental manipulator. He wants Jay and Sammy to be in the position where they are forced to work together. He knows that they can't stand each other. He knows the problems they have with each other, but he wants the two of them to be forced to work together. And they do. And Sammy goes through all these moments where he's saving Jay. And every time he does, he he shows Jay, you see what I'm doing here, right? You see what I'm doing here, right? The match builds and the match builds and more people start to come into the ring and more people start to come into the ring. And at one point, the ring is filled up and 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 Sammy eats a super kick from Jey Uso. Now, the kick wasn't intended for Sammy, but Jay kind of shrugs it off like that's on him. And when Jimmy goes to try to help Sammy, Jay stops Jimmy and says, no, don't help him. Do not help him. And Sammy's out. And we're all kind of thinking, and I was reading it on Twitter, everybody's kind of wondering, is this going to be the moment, right? Because I think people have telecast this story to be going in a direction where it's the Usos versus Sammy and Kevin Owens. I don't think that's where this story is going. I think that originally, maybe that was the plan. But I think that once Sammy got over, this story became much bigger than the Usos versus Sammy and Kevin. So we get to this point where Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens finally get hands on each other. And this is the thing that Roman does. And he's done this in a lot of matches, but I've never pointed it out because it's never hit me like it did last night. Roman has this magnificent way of when he gets hit with that first strike, he has this look on his face of like, it's pain. He's selling it, but it's also, it's shock. It's befuddlement. He cannot believe that this person got any offense in. 
and he cannot believe that he feels pain. Roman is in utter shock that he's feeling pain. And you can see it all over his face. He gets hit and he's like, what? What was that? Why am I feeling this way? Roman has got this ego to this point where he's literally going into matches under the working assumption that his opponents will provide zero defense, that there will be no offense coming his way, that it will simply be a beatdown. And when it doesn't happen, and he did this with Logan Paul too, he's done it many times, but it's an amazing phase. It always happens at the beginning of the match. The first time Roman takes punishment, he has this look of shock and it's, it's unbelievable. But it gets to the point where Roman and, and KO are going back and forth and Roman, Roman hits him, KO hits him, Roman hits him, KO hits him. KO gets Roman down and he gets him down for the cover. One, two, and Sammy jumps in and hooks Mickey J's arm so he doesn't allow the referee to count to three. Now what's great, and then, and then Kevin Owens looks at Sammy and he goes, I can't believe you did that, you unbelievable piece of you know what. And Sammy looks at Kevin Owens going, this is what I'm doing, I'm sorry, but I'm doing it. What's beautiful about this moment is you still go, what side is Sammy on? Sammy could have easily jumped in and physically removed Kevin Owens from Roman Reigns. But they did the the genius thing of building up the point when Sammy would come into physical contact with Kevin Owens. They're not gonna waste it on that moment. They're gonna save it. And when Sammy, the, the real moment is when Sammy hits Kevin Owens with that, with that low blow. He hits Kevin Owens with that low blow. Kevin backs into the corner and now you see where this is going. Sammy, detail, goes down to Roman for approval. You see what I'm doing now, my tribal chief? You see what I'm doing? Roman acknowledges Sammy. I see what you're doing, yes. He shakes his head, yes. Nods. And that's when Sammy hits KO with the Haluva kick. And then he sees Jay and Jay sees him. And Sammy drags Kevin Owens into position and leaves him for Jay. Go ahead, do your thing. Jay hits that frog splash and Jay gets the pinfall victory over Kevin Owens and the bloodline win war games. Now at this point, you almost, in my heart, I was like, okay, I hope Sammy Zayn gets in Jay's face or I hope he shoves Jay or I hope he tells Jay, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. But instead, Jay embraces Sammy and Sammy accepts the embrace. And this feeling rushed over me that I had no idea I would feel. I loved it. I was like, this, this is it. And this is what's so great about this story that, that I think that a lot of people had this going a lot of different ways, right? But a lot of people thought that the bloodline would leave war games fractured for whatever storyline reason, be it that Sami Zayn turned on the bloodline and went to Kevin Owens, be it that Jay Uso turned on Sammy, be it that the bloodline turned on Jay, be, uh, something would happen here. I think most people did not expect 
the bloodline to leave war games victorious and stronger than ever. I also feel like I, for instance, thought that after Sammy had proved his loyalty, that he would, that Jay would get his comeuppance. Instead, we got an embrace. And it's very rare in wrestling that something like that happens. Something like that, meaning you saw a story going a certain way and you were like, it would be perfect if they did this. And then they do something else and you go, oh no, that's perfect. That's the way it should be done. My way was worse. I love it when that happens. When you see it, that's the way wrestling stories are supposed to be told. You see it happening a certain way. And then it goes off this way and you realize, oh, that direction was right. I didn't even see there was a road there. Just beautiful. All the little nuance piped in. The fact that Roman was the one making those calls. The fact that Roman sat in the chair in the middle of the shark cage. I just love where it's going. And I love what we got with that storyline. I, I, I think that what you saw at War Games was what professional wrestling is at its finest, which is great storytelling. And nothing will have you leaving an arena buzzing more than a beautifully told story. And that's what we got last night. Now the question is, where does this go? Obviously there's gotta be some kind of blow off. There are people who now more than ever want Sammy versus Roman to be the WrestleMania main event. I personally do not think that's the way to go. As big as this is, and as much as it gets bigger, every day, every story beat makes it bigger and bigger and bigger. For me, I don't think Sammy is the baby face to go into WrestleMania. I certainly don't think Sammy is the guy to take the title off Roman. I do think that this has to go somewhere, right? And I've talked about this before on the podcast. But for me, I think we go to the Royal Rumble with Kevin Owens versus Roman Reigns. We saw the chemistry between Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns. We realized the fact that, that Sammy is on Roman's side, is driving Kevin crazy. It's gonna, it's gonna make that rivalry so much bigger. I think that, that you have Sammy cost Kevin Owens the victory at the Royal Rumble. And Kevin is pissed, right? I think that that after the Royal Rumble, you have the bloodline finally turn on Sammy. And he's like, I gave you guys everything. I gave you, I gave you my best friend. I gave you, and Roman says, you gave us everything? And Sammy goes, yeah. And then he goes, well, what do you have to give us now? And he goes, what do you mean? If you gave us everything, what's left for you to give us? Well, I, 
I don't know. I've given you everything. Well, Sammy puts his arm on his shoulder. That makes you worthless. And he's almost smiling when he says it. And Sammy is like, what? And then the bloodline beats down Sammy Zayn. And it leads us to Sammy Zayn versus Roman Reigns because that's where this has to go. But it happens at the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. The Elimination Chamber pay-per-view is in Montreal. I think you have Sami Zayn come to Montreal with that hero's welcome because I don't think there's any way Sami Zayn is a heel coming out of this story, right? Sami Zayn comes to Montreal with that hero's welcome. He gets the pop of the century walking into that match. And you tell a story that makes people believe that maybe he actually will win the title. Roman Reigns is able to beat Sami Zayn. The bloodline beats up Sami Zayn after the match. Kevin Owens comes in and chases the bloodline away. Then Kevin Owens beats up Sami Zayn. And Sami Zayn is left in a heap. And it's very similar to the end of the first NXT TakeOver show. When Kevin Owens made his NXT debut and Sami Zayn won the NXT championship and Kevin Owens came out to congratulate him but slammed him down. Now in this instance, Kevin Owens is not coming out to congratulate him because Sami Zayn is not leaving Elimination Chamber with the title, but he is coming out to be on his side only to betray him. And that leads us to the ultimate grudge match. It's 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 a match that we've seen many times before, but never with this level of story behind it. We get to WrestleMania. And Roman is now removed from this situation. Roman is doing whatever Roman's going to do. But Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn is our match at WrestleMania. You look at the WrestleMania and you look at the year that they've both had, but you look at the WrestleManias that they had with Sami Zayn having the match of his career against Johnny Knoxville, believe it or not, last year at WrestleMania, and Kevin Owens having the career, the match of his career last year at WrestleMania against Stone Cold Steve Austin. Both atypical matches, both atypical for very different reasons. Kevin came out of it stronger, is now one of the top baby faces on SmackDown, did have to spend a little bit of time on the shelf, but Sami has skyrocketed since then which is why I think Kevin Owens comes in as the villain, Sami Zayn as the hero, and we get the WrestleMania Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn rivalry match. We've had it at WrestleMania before, but it's not, it wasn't a blood feud when we had it before. It was just like, cool, we're seeing this. Let's make it a blood feud. Let's make it, I mean, you can even... You can make it last man standing, but I almost say, say put no stipulation on it and just be like, maybe there must be a winner. Maybe that's what you call the match. Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn once and for all. And one person leaves by winning by pin or submission. That's what you call it. Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn once and for all. And only one guy walks out of there as the true victor of the entire rivalry. Take my money now. I'm here for it.
But I'll tell you what else I'm here for. My buddy Surrett is uh, one of the gear designers at WWE for years now at every WWE show. You can see this guy at his sewing machine, designing, creating, sewing, concocting, all the iconic gear that you see these WWE superstars wear, whether it be Sami Zayn, whether it be Seth Rollins, whether it be Logan Paul. And I mean, I, I, I think to myself, if I had the opportunity to talk to some of the people that were crafting the iconic gear that the superstars wore when I was a kid, I would love to talk to them about the process and putting together Shawn Michaels chaps. So why not talk about the process and putting the bloodline together all in red, making that elaborate Logan Paul outfit? I sent the bat signal up for Sorette and he responded. So here it is. Let's get an education in WWE gear making. The Not Sam Wrestling interview. I'm excited for this. I just tripped on a word. That's how excited I am because <laughs> my pal Surratt is here in studio. Bro, thank you for having me, man. This is, it's like walking into a, a, a collectible store. I mean, as, as somebody, I feel like you share the philosophy where you just want to keep the things that are interesting to you around you at all times. Yeah. That's the whole goal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you you learn a lot about someone's personality just by looking at their environment around them. Right. How how clean it is, the things they keep around. Right. And like for me, it's always, you know, I'll pull inspiration from anything. So, you know, you could just see, like I'm looking, I see like the Hayabusa on the wall mm -hmm. or stuff like that. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot masks that are like that. And then I log it into my brain. Oh, that's interesting. So you'll see like, okay, so if at some point in the next few months, somebody shows up with a Hayabusa mask, I'm like... Yeah, you're yeah, welcome. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was there was a time where I was in, I want to say I was in either Boston or San Francisco, one of those places. I was at a hotel and I just happened to look, and there was this design on the wall. It was some kind of grid, I forget, but I logged it into my brain, and then next thing you know, I was like, oh yeah, the hexagon from that wall, and I just started. I used it on someone's tights, just because I remember it just being this like intricate little design that I could then pull off and put into. Wow. Yeah. Well, for those that don't know, you are one of a, a very small number. What is it? Two people so, that are well. There's there's three? three of us. There's three of us backstage. Myself, yeah. Terry, who's been there since the very beginning. Didn't she make like Shawn Michaels like so the WrestleMania the, twelve gear and stuff like that? So the position. Well, so that was your sister Julie. So the, gotcha. the position of seamstress at WWE is uh, was created specifically for Terry and her sister. Wow. So like literally everything that you've seen from I want to say 87 on. So that's a, on. that's around when they go we need an in-house yeah, so, designer. So they were uh they were making stuff for I think I want to say it was like uh the Rockers. The first set that Julie made was for the Rockers and then uh they started ordering from her all the time and then they started to make stuff for the Heart Foundation, huh. Sensational Sherry, and then eventually, you know, uh, they got brought on. I think I want to say it was Paul Bear that might have helped them get in there. But yeah, they they started working there full time on the road with them because before that they would just wherever there was a show they would travel on their own to the show and just like drop off gear that they had worked on, drop off gear, fix people's gear, things like that, and then eventually mm -hmm. they just they were brought on. And the Rockers the was the first. Yeah. So first. I th yeah. So I think Julie had uh, was a fan of the Rockers and she had made tights for them. And just brought it to them one day. Wow. And they just really liked it, so they kept ordering from her. 
Well, so, it, but it's not, I mean, the fact that, like, this position was created for people who one of them is still there yeah. today. I, I tell her all the time, like, there's, I mean, I'm a, I'm an 80s, 90s kid, and everything that I loved about, like, professional wrestling, like, half of that came from her. It's so crazy because, especially that era, like, the aesthetic yeah. is so important and such that thing that's ingrained into our head. So the idea that somebody took a needle and thread. Yeah. Like a human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like thought of this thing. It's like, what if we did this and sewed it up and said, here you go. Like yeah. it, at some point it was just an idea and now it's like this weird, well, like iconic Well, that's thing. the thing. Like, so whenever I'm like creating tights or trying to come up with designs, like I think about like, can I make something that's as uh, classic or mm. as timeless as say, Shawn Michaels' WrestleMania 12 gear. Right. You know, or, you know, seeing him come out in chaps or the mirrors, seeing Rey Mysterio and all his superhero things, like things that are logged in my brain as like, this is what wrestling is to me. Yeah. And hopefully I can come up with something like that. Like to the, to this day, one of the coolest things I will ever see in wrestling is watching LOD walk out with oh. spiked shoulder pads. Oh. Like to me, that's like, that's wrestling encapsulated in a character. Yeah. 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 Especially because it was like, bright red with the giant black spikes and yeah. there is like a cartoon come to life like do you do you think of different materials and stuff because that's part of it right is like not only creating this insane visual but it's like okay i need to figure out how to pull up this look with maybe this material or whatever that hasn't been used before but they've also got to be able to wrestle and be athletic well, that's in a, this outfit. And well, that's the thing. Like a lot of times, you know, you'll get designs created by other people. People just draw things and say, hey, you know, this person would look really cool in that. Yeah. And a lot of times, a lot of that stuff is really good. If you look on the internet, there's a lot of wrestling fans who will come up with designs. And a lot of it's really good. But the thing <coughs> they forget is not only does it have to look good, it's got to be functional. Yeah, and, of course. And it's not just functional for that night. You remember, like, I mean, it's a little less nowadays, but back in the day, you had uh, wrestlers wrestling five nights a week. So oh, of course, your tights had to last five nights a week, every week for months on end. And the fact that you got your start wrestling, that yeah. your background is being a wrestler in a wrestling ring, I would imagine that you have that perspective what, not that they don't because they've been doing it forever, but like you can walk in and kind of know not just this has to look cool, yeah, but you know what it has to do yeah. in the ring. Like, for instance, uh, I mean, we just had the show in Saudi Arabia, Crown Jewel, mm -hmm. and like one of those things is you know, you, we got to create the bodysuits for the girls, right? And a lot of them will get stuff designed and they'll start getting it put together. And you, I look at them like, oh, you're gonna be out there in a full vinyl bodysuit. Like, it looks amazing, mm -hmm. but like, just remember, we're out in the desert. Like, you're gonna mm. be sweating your ass off. I don't, can I cuss? Yes, yes, okay. yes. Okay, yeah, you're gonna be out there sweating your ass off. Yeah. So like, sometimes I'll look at that situation. I'll be like, okay, how do we achieve that same look, but in materials that are a little more functional so that a person's not sweating or not going like, you know, just getting heat stroke out there. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and it's one of those things too where they could probably try something on it fits right they're moving around okay this is it and five ten minutes into a match yeah they're like oh my god i didn't take into account yeah 
what this would do. Yeah, so that happened with uh, Logan at uh, in SummerSlam against Miz. Oh, yeah. So like uh, when I made his first set, it was a mix of vinyl and spandex. But we really wanted to give that like, you know, that, you know, the leather look or like that, you know, the baggy pants kind of look, but not really baggy. Right. That so, shine. Yeah. So yeah. that second set at SummerSlam, we went like maybe 90% vinyl on there. And he was just sweating like crazy. And like, that's only he, waist down, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he's sweating like crazy. So like, you know, when we were getting ready for Crown Jewel, they're like, hey, we need more, you know, more breathable material. So I was like, all right, how do I achieve the same look, but with more spandex? Yeah. So I went and found like a shinier spandex, something that's going to give, you know, the creasing that makes it look like, you know, pants versus tights. So you personally, do you like go to a material store and go... Yeah, you're like feeling it. This will work. This will be cool. I know I can do something with this. Uh, sometimes, I mean, like whenever I'm in New York, I'll stop by the fashion district, go to Spandex World, Spandex House, and just take a look at things. Uh, I do have a shop in Orlando that I go to regularly just to see what's there and just see what's around. But a lot of times you just, I order it online. I know the fabrics that I normally use. Yeah. And I know if I'm finding that same fabric, but a different color, it's generally going to be the same. But then sometimes, you know, you'll... Sometimes an idea will come and you do it and it construct it and it goes exactly how you thought. But then when they put it on, it just doesn't feel the right way. Like mm. for instance, um, when I did Stephanie's McMahon's gear for Mania. It's high pressure gear. Yeah. So we it was when she tagged with uh, Hunter yeah. against Kurt and Rhonda oh. and she wanted a bodysuit. And so she had this specific look that she was going for that was modeled after something else. But she had this idea of using the same kind of fabric as as Hunter. But Hunter wears thicker fabric. But he just wears a little bit of the fabric. Yes. Right. Yeah, but because he's because he's like muscular, like it doesn't really uh impact him that way. So yeah, it looks fine on him. But with a, a woman, like with that thicker fabric, sometimes it squeezes them in and mm. flattens them in, in the wrong spots. Mm. So, you know, we tried it on for the first time. This is a week before WrestleMania, mm. she tries it on for the first time and, she, and it just doesn't look right. She goes, what do you think we should do? I was like, scrap it. I'm going to retake your measurements right now. And then when I get to, I think it was uh, New Orleans. When yes. I to, when I get to New Orleans. Yes, 34. Yeah, yeah, I am running out and I will, I'll, I'll get this. We'll figure it out. And so I get there and I'm, yeah. A week out. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like you get done with something. You think, okay, this is going to be good. We're ready to go. I can mark that off the list. And all of a sudden it's like, no. You, you, you're, it's a high pressure, high pressure situation. You got to figure it out again. So yeah, yeah, as soon as I landed, I was at different fabric stores, just finding something that gave the same look, but was thin enough so that it can ride a woman's curves and really accentuate their their body type. Of course, yeah, because you have to. I mean, like you said, it's the aesthetic. You have to. You have to. Everybody has to look good. That's what exactly. part of what we're selling, right? It's exactly. part of the presentation. Exactly. Yeah. So how do you how do you end up in this position? Because that's what I was kind of getting at. This was. This is, it's not like there's a Craigslist ad that opens up and goes like, hey, who wants to make gear for yeah. every WWE superstar ever? Well, so I started making tights back in 2000, 2001 when I first started wrestling. <laughs> uh, I was a senior in high school training and I knew like the Hardy Boys were huge then. So I knew Matt made their tights. So I was like, you know, if Matt did it, I could, I could do it. So I took a sewing class in high school. They taught me how to use a machine. Now, and did you tell people when you're taking the sewing class in high school, did you tell people, well, I just want to learn how to make wrestling gear? Uh, I, not really. But I just, yeah, yeah, but that, yeah. The, but that was my goal. That's so great. And then like, uh, yeah, so then once I hit the indies, I just started, you know, experimenting on myself, making myself new types of tights, you know, biker tights, 
singlets, all this stuff. And every time I learned to make something new, I would tell people, like, hey, I know how to make this now. So I would, you know, sell it. Obviously, you're not getting paid a lot on the indies, so I'd get to a show and it would help me balance out my my expenses. Yeah. So if I'm only getting, you know, 50 bucks for a show, but I could sell $400 worth of tights. Right. Cool. It helps me out, uh, you know, just covering costs. And then uh, when uh, Mercedes got signed in 2012, I quit my job at the ice cream factory, moved to Florida, had no job, just trying to figure things out. But I was always making her tights and I let it be known that, you know, to the rest of like, hey, I know how to make tights and stuff like that. So... I think the first guy that ordered from me was uh, Percy Watson. Yes. Yeah. So I, so I made something for Percy, <laughs> and I made something for Mojo. Percy Watson, by the way, I mean, his aesthetic is important, too. This is a guy who figured out how to wrestle in glasses. Yeah. A lot of people came to the ring with glasses on. A lot of people didn't wrestle in the glasses. Yeah. Well, it's fun. So it's fun. I have this. It's a funny Percy Watson story because I so I'd made him a couple pairs of tights, mm -hmm. and I was making him like a boxing robe one day. And I'm looking at it, and I'm just like, there's something wrong with this writing. I'm just trying to figure it out. And I'm looking, I'm like, because it's always said showtime on the back. And I'm looking, I'm like, it was in cursive. I'm like, that doesn't say showtime. That says showtime with an N. <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, yeah, I was like, I, I was like, hey man, like, you know, all your writing says showtime, not time. Like, because there's the extra swoosh in cursive, yes. the extra. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. so I'm telling him like, cause I've just been copying his, his stuff over again. So I didn't really think about it. And then I was like, oh, he goes, oh really? Holy <laughs> crap. I was like, hey, do you want me to switch it? He goes, no, no, you can just leave it. So I was like, all right. So then the, maybe like a week later, uh, Sticks, one of the refs, he goes, yo, 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 Surat messed up on Percy's uh, robe. It says Showtime. He was like, no, no, Percy knows about it. He just, he told me to leave it. So I was just like, all right. But yeah. No, I'll be Showtime. I've been, I mean, it's taking me this far. I'm going to start being Showtime. Yeah. It was just, I was just like, I, I, I was like, I told him before it was even made. So I could have easily switched it. So when he was on the NXT reality show, was he wearing Showtime gear? You might have to look back. I gotta I'm go back and look. Oh, I'm hundred percent looking back yeah. now to find out yeah. if he was Showtime. Yeah, look at that. Look at when they were doing. Uh, I want to say it was when NXT was first kicking off. When uh, right, right after Seth, right after the Shield left. Sure, sure, sure. Around yeah, yeah. that time, yeah, you might be able to take a look and see. Oh my! Yeah, 2012-13. Yeah, that's so great. So after, <laughs> which is good because you couldn't have had that on your reputation. You're just start like this is your first. Yeah. This well, is your I'll, first guy. Yeah, I'm sitting there looking. You. Well, it's not just that, but like I had already made him like two pairs, just copying over what was already made. For yeah. Him. So then when I caught it, I was like, oh man, like <laughs> people are going to think I made all his tights and they all say showtime. I have to go back to the ice cream factory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing in the ice cream factory? Were you actually making ice cream? Were you packaging ice cream? Uh, so I worked at the Friendly's Ice Cream Company up in, nice. up in Massachusetts. And so I was, uh, I started on the line, the packaging line and that, but like I got to the point where. I was the guy that was on the tanks, flavoring all the ice cream, sending it over to the the the, the freezers. Oh, sick! So between maybe two thousand four to two thousand twelve, if you had Friendly's ice cream, either bought in store mm -hmm. or at a restaurant, there's probably like a one in six chance that I was the guy that's big. making all the flavors. That's huge. Yeah, that's yeah, big, yeah. and it's especially tough. And it speaks to your discipline that you're able to be an independent wrestler and work in a, a ice, Friendly's ice cream factory because most. Independent wrestlers would get too fat on free ice cream. Well, like I mean, unless you were a big fat independent wrestler. I don't well, first of all, I love uh, I love ice cream. So yeah, it's I wasn't in the best shape. Um, <laughs> I got better at it. Uh, just being on the tanks and stuff, I'm working all the time, so I was uh, very active. But like being at the ice cream factory taught me a lot of discipline, especially with wrestling, because my schedule would be uh, I work third shift Sunday night through Thursday night, get out of work Friday morning at seven a.m 
sleep until 10 a.m., shower, drive to wherever I had to to wrestle, uh, leave right after my match and fly back home because I was working overtime. I'd get back at 11, 12 o'clock at night, work all night, wait, get out at 7 in the morning, do the same thing on Saturday, on Sunday, and then Monday morning, you know, after I got out of work, I'd crash for 10 hours. But you know what? It's like people go, how do you, how do you make a living just doing what you're passionate about in the beginning, yeah. like being a wrestler? And the answer is learn how to make gear and work in an ice cream factory. Yeah. And then you'll be able to wrestle for a living. Yeah. Yeah. And right? then, yeah. And then pull that <laughs> schedule for, you know, damn near 10 years. Right. It's just, it's, just, it's a grind. Yeah. So like some people will see, you know, the fact that I work for WWE and then I do all these different things like, oh, you know, it's, it almost, it does not, doesn't look like it's overnight success, but you don't see the grind that went on behind it. Of course. You know? Of course. And were you making, Mercedes, Sasha Banks, obviously, were you making her gear when she got to NXT? I Yeah, I pretty much started, I met her when she first started Chaotic Wrestling. Right. And I pretty much made her everything, like from her first set, so all that, the way on. So that was your beat. You were doing Percy Watson and Sasha Banks. <laughs> In NXT, yes. Percy Watson, Mojo. At one and point, Mojo. Yeah, before I started working with the main roster, I got to the point where I was doing it. That's a lot of bright colors, by the way. Percy, Mojo, and yeah. Sasha Banks, those are all like the bright, like yeah, 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 lots yeah. of yellows, lots of bright reds, yeah. pinks and purples. Yeah, I got to the point where I was doing about 30% of that roster. Wow. And then uh, 2015, uh, they, I think Mark Carano and Hunter pulled me aside and said, you know, hey, we need help with WrestleMania this year if you want to come in for two months to help us out, you know, and uh, maybe have a good experience, go to WrestleMania. I was like, you know, cool. Let's let's try this out. Awesome, yeah. And, and which WrestleMania was that? Uh, thirty-two. It was Dallas. Uh, no, no, wait. No, I'm sorry. Thirty-one. It was uh, Santa Clara. Gotcha. Okay. 31. Yeah. WrestleMania push play. Yeah. It's the big push play <laughs> button. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Terminator Hunter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I went in for two months, helped out with that, and after the two months, like, we, we like you. We want to sign you on for a year you want to come you know work for us i was like all right cool let's give this a try i've been wrestling for 15 years that's wild because wasn't that mercedes first wrestlemania too uh no she didn't wrestle oh that was dallas yeah yeah. she was still on nxt at the time but um yeah so i just hopped on for a year and then six months into that we're like hey we want to extend you three years and so i've like i've been extended since so i've been there from february 2015 till now unbelievable yeah unbelievable do you have any is there any uh, uh gear specifically that is like that's that's my thing after all these years you know you've been searching for that like iconic piece that you can make is there anything that you're like super super proud of that you know people recognize all the time um let's see, proud i there's I, there's a lot of different pieces that like just have a special place in my heart yeah i mean you got like sasha with the with the sailor moon gear mm-hmm. um i just I, it's so many more than i can think of uh seth rollins in the um, the Rey Mysterio gear, oh, things like that. Like oh, when, when love you, Rollins Rey Mysterio gear. When, when you can reach back into that and like the nostalgia and pull it out of people and give them give them a memory. Yeah, like that's what's cool to me. But like also making something that's recognizable to a person. Like for instance, I don't know. Maybe this is just me, but I think nowadays if you see anyone with crisscross straps around the arm, yeah, you automatically think, oh, that's probably inspired by Sasha, right? And like. Just right. knowing, just knowing that that's something I came up with is like, all right, that's cool. That's sick. Yeah, 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 that's really cool. Yeah, Seth must be just a blast. Dude, he's to do stuff for. I mean, even because <laughs> you, I mean, Seth like is one of those guys who's got so many iconic sets of gear. Yeah. It so, seems so fun. He just he lets me just do my thing sometimes. Yeah, and like sometimes I'll have an idea that he wants to go by, 
And then sometimes he's just like, hey, like, you know, maybe use this color, but he'll just let me, you know, go balls to the wall with whatever I want. Like when we were doing Clash at the Castle. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, we're in Wales. So I walked him like, hey, Wales, Rocket Man. He goes, all right, I like where you're going with it. Yes. And then like a week later, he just sends me that picture of Taron Edgerton in Rocket Man in the outfit. I'm like, all right, cool. That's Let's it. Go. Let's go. That's it. And it was it was perfect. Yeah. It was perfect. Especially this year, I feel like. I, you know, even though Seth, like the all white SummerSlam gear is iconic, Rey yeah. Mysterio gear is iconic, but like this year, having that Clash of the Castle gear, yeah. having the uh I mean the Dusty gear at Hell in a yeah. Cell, that was I, awesome. I was actually talking to Cody about the Dusty gear because like Seth had brought up the idea of doing the polka dots and like he talked about it with Cody and things like that. And like I think that he, I think Cody had the assumption that we were going to go, we were going to set that up. So, you know, when I was talking with Jolene, who makes uh, Seth's kick pads, mm -hmm. uh, we were just sitting there chatting and we were thinking, like, okay, what do we, what should we do? And I was like, oh, maybe we'll do black lace with the polka dots and stuff like that. And we were thinking about really like going Seth Rollins with it. Then we, I sat there and I was like, no, I think it'd be better if we stick to like how it originally looked. Yeah. So I went and just found like, you know, football spandex really you know, a matte black that doesn't have too much shine to it, yeah. a matte yellow, and just went super 80s, just, it looks simple, but you get, you get the, the feel, the emotion behind it way more than if we did a, you know, a bedazzled Seth Rollins look Absolutely. that's inspired by Dusty. Yeah. Even the tank top, I thought, the entrance tank top, how it was kind of baggy. Yeah. It wasn't like a singlet top. Yeah. Because we were, we were going to do like the top where he zips up like his normal stuff. And I was like, you know what? No, nah, like Dusty had the tank top. Uh -huh. So let's just do a loose tank top. Yeah. And just, yeah, go that route. So the fact that that went so well, did that then inspire to go to Extreme Rules? Because when you did the RVD gear, it was like, again, it was kind of, there were Seth elements to it. Yeah. But it was more RVD than Seth. Well, that's, yeah, that's the thing. Like with, with that, uh, you know, we were talking about, cause we, like Seth didn't really know what he wanted to do for, you know, the pay-per-view. Mm -hmm. So I was sitting there talking with him. I was like, you know what? It's extreme rules in Philly. Like, uh, you have riddle and riddles, you know, extracurricular activities. Sure. So I said, you know, sure. hitting like, the bongos. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? Let's, I was like, let's do RVD. And he goes, yeah, I'm with that because, you know, RVD was an inspiration for him too. Sure. So being able to pay homage, but then have his own little twist to it. Yeah. So I found an airbrusher in Orlando <laughs> and he helped me out with it. And then once we got everything done, I was like, all right, let me take that and add some, some sparkle to it. So it gives it that Seth element. Yes. So yeah, it that was, it's really fun to be able to play with inspiration and ideas like that. And having someone who's, you know, ready and willing to be like, all right, let's go. We're, uh. We're coming right off Survivor Series as we're having this conversation. It was yesterday. Yeah. Uh, was there anything last night that you're specifically like, that was the one? Uh, it's weird. So like, um, my mind is still like, I'm still like, I'm still exhausted from it. Because <laughs> I mean, not not only did we have Survivor Series, like it was two days after Thanksgiving. We just had Crown Jewel a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So like, you know, sometimes you think, these guys have like a couple months to put these outfits and looks together. But like, realistically I was working on crown jewel stuff up until after that pay-per-view. Right. Then as soon as that's done, I have to hop on survivor series stuff, but you know, I have a family too. I have a life, so I got to do the, the holidays. So, right. so yeah, yeah. I just made the, I made it known to myself that like, Hey, you're probably going to be working your butt off 
at certain points so that you can enjoy the time with the family when you when you want to. Other points, yeah. So last night, like, I mean, what I would say Friday night and yesterday, I was just head down sewing. I didn't finish gear until seven o'clock. An PM. Hour, an hour before. So as the pre-show is coming on, the gear is getting finished. Yes. Wow. Yes. One of my favorite things, like, so that was I was working on Finn at the time, uh-huh. just because I knew, like, I knew what I wanted to do for him, but like, I knew in my head I had an idea of how long it would take me. So I was like, all right, I could push his. That's pretty convenient that yeah. you've been doing it long enough that you know. I know this is how long this is going to take, and he had those. Uh, he had some mosh yeah. shoes on, yeah, right? Yeah, Jordan ones. Yeah, the black and purple Jordan ones. So you had the color scheme. Yeah, so we had the yeah. color scheme. So I, you know, I went and looked for different textures. So I found like that carbon fiber purple, purple, and like the the crocodile print spandex. Yes. And so we did that with like a matte uh, matte pleather and some shiny vinyl, just to give it a little uh, little dimension. Uh, so that worked out, and Seth loved it. I mean, not Seth. I'm sorry, Finn loved it. Yeah. Um, the the bloodline. I did. All the red for the bloodline. Sammy's which, too? Yeah. 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 I, I noticed immediately, I noticed in the promo segment. Yeah. I was like, that's fire that Sammy has yeah. red pants on yeah. tonight. Yeah. There, so, you, I mean, we'll notice that there was one member of the bloodline who wasn't in red. And that's not because it wasn't made, but because, you know, it, it, the, the fabric texture wasn't what he thought it was going to be. Right. So he'd put it on to just see how it felt on him. But at the end of the day, like, He's a tribal chief. He gets to do whatever he wants. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the you know it, on the yeah. one, y'all are wearing red for me. Exactly. Wear your red. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. So it's like you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's it would be cool if they were all dressed in red. But at the same time, like no, he does his thing, and you're following him. Yeah. So you know, it works, and that's and that's it's interesting too. And again, I'm sure it helps that you come from wrestling that you have that brain for it, where you're like we're telling stories. Yeah with this attire like the attire is part of the storytelling that goes into it where yeah. if like jay uso wasn't wearing red it'd be like yeah. why is he not this is weird yeah well i mean so like one of the details small details is something like so i've been working on sammy stuff for a little while and you know when he transitioned into the storyline with the bloodline mm-hmm. you know we had talked about putting honorary on his tights putting it in the shirt and like for whatever reason things didn't you know, progress as quickly as we wanted them to, as mm-hmm. far as the, the gear. Mm. And then all of a sudden that moment comes where uh, Roman bestows the shirt on him. Mm-hmm. And I was telling him like, yeah, like if we had put honorary on your pants when you wanted to, then you wouldn't have gotten that emotional beat that we got then because right. now Roman's bestowing you with that honorary name. Right. And it's Roman, ultimately it's Roman's yeah. call. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then when we, uh, so then, uh, when we were doing his tights, especially for last night, like I modeled his stuff closer to Romans than it was the Usos. Cause we almost made an honorary version that was closer to what the Usos are wearing with the, with the black on the legs and mm-hmm. things like that and the trimming. But in my head, it's like, no, like you're, you're trying to, mo- you're trying to follow Roman. Mm-hmm. So your look is going to look more like his and like the honorary on there is going to be uh more, uh, pronounced in the front versus the usos in the back Mm -hmm. and there was a couple other beats where like you know it's just if we had done it ahead of time it just i don't think it would hit the same exact way as it does now in the story yeah i agree and this is not something that's like talked about with anyone else it's just something that like you know we just try to keep in mind when we're trying to create these outfits is like okay we're still telling a story and anything we can do to help assist in that maybe it's whether it's subconsciously or not 
Right. You know, people can go and look back and like, oh, now I, I see that little detail that I didn't notice before. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I was, uh, I had Bianca Belair on the podcast last week. And one of the things that we talked about was her not only making her own gear, but yeah. the, the, the pace that she was under yeah. leading into war games, but like creating her own gear before Crown Jewel. And yeah. she was in, I think, Mexico right before. And she's like on the bus and yeah. on the plane, like sewing. And she had her sewing machine in her luggage going to Saudi. And I was like, hey, if you're going to do that, like, just remember like the, and this is something that a lot of people don't think about is, you know, the, the wattage in the outlets uh. over there. I, before I used to go over there, I used to bring all my equipment with me. Yeah. And one day I completely fried my sewing machine. Because the wattage is different. Exactly. So yeah. I'm sitting there like, okay, show's coming up in two days and my stuff is fried. So I had to go and like look up a sewing machine store and I went out in Jeddah, found a sewing machine, <laughs> took it back to the hotel and just went to work. <laughs> so, cause no excuses, right? Yeah. You're not showing up without the product. Yeah. I mean, at the end of like, at the end of the day, the show's, the show's gotta go. The show's gonna go on whether you, you're ready or not. Right. So you do whatever you can to make sure your part in it is taken care of. What do you think, can you, is, is there is there a set of gear that is more elaborate than people even realize? Like, is there, is there, or, or just, or maybe people realize it and you're still just like, yeah, like the most elaborate. I mean, I, I feel like Sasha's stuff is probably the most elaborate because it's, it's, it's in layers. Yes. Like you got to do it in specific layers. So and many like, pieces. Yeah. yeah. You do certain pieces then, okay, you got to do a fitting because I got to get this part marked. I got to get this part marked. Come back, do another fitting. And it's like. You know, when you see a logo on someone's tights, you know, there's two ways you can do it. You can use a vinyl cutter and you can just take the vinyl cutter off, heat press it, sew around the edge, put it on a pair of tights and you're ready to go. But then for a lot of us who like, I, I like doing it old school. Mm -hmm. So like with something like that, I have my patterns and I'm sketching out or I'm tracing out every layer, cutting it out of the specific fabric that I need, which it's a it's hundred times harder and way, way more time consuming. But I think you get more dimension in the logo in that way. Yeah. So like that way you can actually have all the colors matching up and things like that the way you really want them to. What's it like for you when like Mattel puts out a figure in gear that is that sort of like high concept gear for you, right? Like over there I have Seth and his Rey Mysterio outfit yeah. figure. Like yeah, yeah. yesterday I pre-ordered the, uh, the Logan Paul yeah. ultimate that they did but yeah, like yeah. clearly they realized that that the gear is such a hit that we need to spend a lot of time getting the detail right on our figures to yeah. match the gear because that's what the collectors and the kids that buy these want yeah are you does that do you get off on that or are you not it's, it's an action figure guy oh i love action figures but i think for me it's it's less about the detail of it mm -hmm. and more like if i see a if I see a figure with gear on that I, you know, out in the wild, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, like someone will send me a picture and stuff. I'm like, oh, that's cool. But if I'm at the store yeah. and I'm walking down, like one day I was in the store and I was walking around and I saw the Seth Rollins Chicago Bears yes. one. And I was like, so I immediately picked it up and had him sign it. So that, like if I, I really should collect all the figures with gear mm -hmm. that I've made, but I just don't have the room for it all. Right. But I should, I really should just, you know, collect them all and at some point put them all up but. yeah put them in a, in a in a bin or something but it's really more that sort of feeling of seeing it on a shelf and going like oh my god like this is well yeah because i mean like when i was a kid you know like wrestling figures were like the thing like, yeah that's like i used to collect them when i was little play with them all the time and just just knowing that like something i made 
transitioned into a, a figure or a doll. Like uh, we had the Sasha WrestleMania 33, I think Orlando, the half black, half white with the gold. Mm-hmm. I remember that gear and I really loved that gear. And then one day we went and took a tour of Mattel and they showed us the, when they <laughs> were doing the Barbie doll figure one. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And they had that figure in that gear. And I was just like, man, like little girls are going to play with a doll that's dressed up in something I made. It's wild. And it's just, it, yeah, like it, I just had to put myself in the mindset of a child. Like, you know, this is, oh, I get to undress my doll and do this with my doll and do all this. And I'm like, I had a hand in, you know, creating that, that, yeah. that, that emotional moment. Have you done anything with Pat McAfee or is he really just showing up in a tank top and shorts? So, I mean, at Mania in, what was the last one, Dallas? Yes. Yeah, at there, uh, Terry actually, like, she, uh, he had brought his stuff and he goes, hey, is there anything you can help me do to help me make it a little more WrestleMania? So we just used uh, like jet black Swarovski crystals and really yes. just gave it some sparkle. Because at the end of the day, you can come up with the most elaborate wrestling-y like outfit for someone. But if it betrays the character. Right. Then you're kind of like, you're okay, now you're just playing wrestler. You're just playing dress up. Right. So you wanted to keep that same feel that Pat has, but just, you know. Add a little pizzazz to it. Right. Amp it up just a little bit. And Swarovski crystals yeah. will do that. Are those like the hidden trick in your tackle box? Like you must, are you, you must be an investor in the company by this point with the amount of crystals. Uh, I have, I have like containers and containers full of crystals at home. It's just, I actually was able to uh, go do a tour of the Swarovski headquarters in Manhattan one day. I don't wow. know if it's the headquarters, but their offices in Manhattan. Sure. And just seeing some of the stuff they had. And I'm just like, oh, there's a lot more out there that I can play with. I just haven't had a chance to play it with yet. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, there's, you know, not only is it like, you're not only just going for the look, but again, it's it's has to be cost effective for the, the talent that are paying for their gear. And it's got to be durable. So sometimes yeah. you can, they have these little pyramid uh, crystals that like, are, they look like spikes. That yeah, would, yeah, you yeah. Know, they would look great on a jacket, but you know, buying up uh, 2,000 of those to put on a jacket is going to, going to be cost a pretty penny yeah and you, sometimes you're just not going to get talent who want to put invest that much money into just one jacket right especially knowing that you know i'm going to go to the ring i'm just going to rip it off and toss it down because i want to get this emotional beat out then when i come back all those crystals are broken and it's just like yeah i think there was i think there was one wrestlemania where uh fandango spent a ton of money on gear and then yeah. found out he wasn't getting an entrance <laughs> and it was like no, no well i mean it's it's so funny because like sometimes you try to coordinate you know like the gear with the figures and stuff like that i remember aj uh was doing a blue color rush set of gear and it was supposed to be when he was working uh brock lesnar at survivor series mm. so they had coordinated it with like action figures and stuff mm. like that like when he was going to have the match and then the next day the figures are going to be in store and all that stuff and then plans change and then a week before uh he loses to daniel bryan and daniel bryan wrestles yeah uh, brock so now aj's not even on survivor series and they're like oh well, we had all these plans what's so going on this. Yeah, yeah yeah so yeah it's little things like that do you stress out if there's a if there's a wardrobe malfunction if something you know tears or rips I mean, in a match. I mean, sometimes, like, in a match, you, there's nothing you can do. Like, But do you, do, you, do you know the difference if, like, because you're right, like, in a match, anything's going to tear. But then there are some tears where it's like, oh, that was because of craftsmanship. Not well, that that's ever happened to you. But. Some, well, I mean, I know AJ was complaining to me when I'm not necessarily complaining, but he was like, you know, 
Everybody in the internet says I had a a, a wardrobe malfunction because I, I tore the the hole in my ass. I remember. He goes, but that's because that's not a wardrobe malfunction. That's a hole that ripped in the match. Like it's not on the seam. Right. So it's not like the wardrobe malfunction. It, it just, is. It's a it's a battle scar. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I mean, like, there's sometimes. I mean, there's always that that you know what was it? Zack Ryder when he was working the guy and oh. the trunks got pulled. Oh, that was. Uh, What's his uh, name? Rory, Rory Fox. Fox. Yeah, yeah, Rapid yeah. delivery Rory Fox. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Who, who uh, old Zack Ryder did the old Tersky. Broski did the Tersky. And he ripped his uh, tights because they were like, I guess the seam was in the bottom. Yeah, yeah. And they just completely tore and he was just, and he had no <laughs> underwear or anything. He's nude yeah. in the ring. Yeah. I mean, it happens sometimes. I mean, uh, like. You again, didn't make those tights though. No, no. no. I mean, but then again, like. It's these guys are wrestling in their gear, you know, multiple, sometimes multiple times a weekend right. for months on end. Like it's, it's wear and tear. Eventually stuff is going to go. Something's gonna the key happen. is, you know, how long is it going to last? Because I've seen stuff made by people where guys will try it on before they've even had a match. And I'm always, I'm already seeing seams popping. So I'm like, okay, that's just a craftsmanship thing. Like, Hey, maybe they shouldn't use straight stitches on something that's supposed to stretch. Yeah. How far into it did you like feel like you had an expertise where you would know something like that? I don't know. Like, I, I think it's just something you just recognize over time. Even nowadays, I still think I'm kind of a, a dunce when it comes to some of the stuff I do because every day, like, you know, people, some people just have certain different techniques that they go by. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I started working there in 2015 and I was talking to Terry and Julie at the time and they had a completely different technique for covering a bra than I did. So I was watching them. I'm like, oh, I've never seen it done that way before. And then likewise, I'm doing working on one. And they're looking at me like, oh, I've never seen it done that way before. So, right. you know, for someone like them who's been doing it for 30 some odd years, yeah. they can. there's still techniques out there that, you know, they can then learn. Yeah. So Such an awesome thing, man. Yeah. Such an awesome thing. You, uh, you also have a podcast out there for people who want to get to know you beyond the gear. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's about a, movies. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's Surratt and Chris's movie therapy podcast. It's on YouTube, Spotify. I need to get it on Apple Music and Google, but it's it should be out there. But the YouTube's out, so if anybody's watching this, yeah, just go to SC Movie Therapy Podcast. Yeah, and you'll see us. We're probably about seven episodes in on you know as officially, but I think we have about forty five episodes in the can. <laughs> like we've been, we've literally been filming and recording for over a year. Just to get the the bugs out and figure out how we're gonna do this all, and so we have all these episodes in the can that we'll release, you know, uh, episodically. But every so often, when a new movie comes out, sure, we'll we'll interject those in there. Like we just released the uh, our episode for Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. Mm -hmm. So, did you guys see Terrifier two? Which what movie? Terrifier two. No, but that sounds like it's right up my alley. What is that? You like horror movies? Yeah, I love horror horror movies. You like violence? Like like I mean like. Like, I mean, like, a lot of violence. I'm not a gratuitous gore kind of person. I mean, it's gratuitous. Yeah. I'm more of a more of a Halloween one, like, uh, you know, imply. Oh, what? yeah. No, there's, this is, there, no, there is no implication. It's very literal. Very literal, like, you know, let's it, watch this arm break. But is it, is it, okay, so is it gore just for the sake of gore, well, or is it? That's a good question. No, I, I, no, it's, it's, they've, they added in a ton of story Terrifier 1 is a lot of gore that's yeah. just gore. Okay. But Terrifier 2, which I still love, but Terrifier 2, like, they added in a lot of fantasy elements. They added in a huge story behind it. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be interested in your guys' I'll, I'll take a look at that. Take I love, uh, is, so is this, is that out on streaming? 
Yeah, actually, it just came out on like Apple and okay. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah I have to take a look because like our bread and butter. Like again, we do movies that are released in you know theaters and stuff like that. But our bread and butter is like these deep cut, you know, movies that you find on streaming that people might not know about. Yeah, I mean, the whole idea is we will watch a movie. And we'll talk about them. We'll talk about the movie. But more than anything, we just use it as a vehicle to then, you know, analyze our own lives mm -hmm. and take lessons from the movies and apply it to us. Because at the, at the end of the day, we feel like a lot of times guys don't talk about their feelings. Right. So if we can use this movie as a way of just mining, you know, our thoughts and figuring out like, hey, what makes us tick? Or, you know, how do we feel about a certain situation? What, what if we were in it and really just getting our emotions out then? You know, it's a it's good for the both of us. And I know for a fact that ever since talking to him, my co-host on a regular basis, like I just feel a little more relaxed on an everyday basis. Lighter. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, man. I absolutely love that. Now, do you take movie inspiration and bring it into gear a lot? Yeah. So like a lot of times, you know, because I mean, a lot of people are just these are the things that they're fans of. Yeah. Like, you know, so if they want to, they, sometimes they want to take these things that, uh, have an emotional that they have an emotional connection to and just you know transition it into uh into their gear the key the big key with that is you know ip you can't of course a lot of times some people will do something that's so literal that like it looks great and the the audience will love it but then you can't use that footage you can't make figures out of it because you're you're impeaching on ip it has to be inspired by yeah. yeah so so the key is you know taking something but then really making it your own so that they then can use it for you know a bunch of different things like for say sasha's uh wonder woman gear right it's it's not so literal that it it, it impeaches on any ip right that's why they were able to make an action figure out of it yeah no that makes perfect sense it yeah. makes total sense do you ever see a wrestler that's maybe not in wwe that you're watching on tv or a show or whatever and go like man if i if i could get my hands on that here's what i would do I, i've seen I've seen some, I don't know if I can pull any out of my brain at the moment, but I know there's like wrestlers I've seen that like, if I had the chance and if I had the time, I'd love to take a crack. Like, okay. All right. Like Dan, what? like Dan Housen. Dan Housen's an awesome character. Yeah. I love him. Yeah. Love him to death. Yeah. And like, I think I could do some really fun stuff with his gear. It's just a matter of, I don't have the time to, nor can I. Right. But if I could. If the opportunity arose. Yes. Yeah. Okay. This is the last question. All right. Let's say, you know, I've been known to get heat from a time or two in this <laughs> in this crazy old world. Let's say things got rough, things yeah. got bad, yeah, and yeah, they yeah. were like, okay, Sam, like, we're bringing you in, we're going full Michael Cole, you've yeah. got a WrestleMania match. Like, somebody's just going to beat the shit out of you because people yeah. need to see it, which isn't that far out of the realm of possibility. I think people yeah, would yeah, yeah, pay yeah. to see me get beat up. Yeah. Um, I'm going to come to you and go, look, I have... I do not, do not have a body built for this. Yeah. I have no idea what to wear to the ring. Yeah. Dude, what what how do you how do you dress the last professional broadcaster for a WrestleMania match? All right. So And I'm I'm good with anything. I I want to go wrestling gear. Okay. Well, here's the th Okay, so here's the thing. Like Okay, you can do a bunch of different you can go in a bunch of different directions. So, okay. for instance, say like Johnny Knoxville he went in more of a, a, you know, historically inspired set of gear. So he went more like Andy Kaufman. Right. Because that's, you know, his character kind of, they spoke to each other. So, you know, when you see that, you're like, oh yeah, Johnny Knoxville would definitely be be dressed like that. I was actually trying to, you know, talk him into possibly doing like a Nacho Libre-ish kind of thing. Sure. But, you know. Sure. But uh, I think for you, it'd be all a matter if you were going for comedy, mm -hmm. seriousness, whatever. Like, so if you were going for comedy, I'd 
set you up in something that looks like you're putting on like football pads. Okay. But just something that looks like, you know, the, the most padded up. Sure. You know, just sure. protecting yourself as much as possible. Sure. Whatever the look is, I'm not sure. I'd go for something that's a little more blue collar. So something that looks more like an old school uh, Sports Illustrated sweatshirt kind of look. Okay. But just extra pads. But clearly there. there's pads yeah. all over. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm at Johnson, just pads on the thighs, <laughs> yeah, knees, thigh, pads, knee pads and everything. Everywhere. Yeah. But then like, if you know, if you really wanted to go like, like depending on what your character was, you know, right. almost dress you up in like, uh, like it. Iron Man armor, but just, oh. but just but stuff that's you're able to actually like bump in, right? Right, I mean? like foam or yeah. something. But the, for me, the whole idea for you is okay. He's not a professional, so you want to pad him up as much as possible so that he can theoretically last in a ring longer than six minutes. That's so smart because then it also protects the whole business. Where it's yeah. like, well, how the hell would this idiot? He should be dead in fifteen seconds. And it's exactly. Like, well, he's got all this padding and it's some kind of helmet on, and exactly. So yeah. then you look at it, you're like, okay, so theoretically, he could last in there a little bit. And then obviously, you tell the story in the ring that that stretches the the match out for the amount of time you need. Beautiful. But you know, the outfit will play a part in making it believable. You're a genius. You are. You are an aesthetic, <laughs> uh, 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 wrestling gear genius. And I'm glad we got to pick your brain a little bit. Uh, I'm sure if because. I feel like like wrestling nerds like gear is so important. So I'm sure people will have even more questions. So you'll probably have to come back and oh, dude, anytime you want me back. Like those. first of all, you're in the Northeast, mm-hmm. which is home for me. Awesome. Like this this whole area that you're in, that's that was my you know my 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 home as far as when I was on the Indies. The whole you know tri-state area, Northeast. So just being back in the area is fun for me. So anytime I can come back to the studio, like awesome, I am here. Awesome, man. I really appreciate it. It was great talking to you and. Uh, Yeah, man, we'll talk soon. Hell yeah. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.